Welcome to the No Fungi, No Future podcast. In these episodes, we interview experts in the field to gain a deeper understanding of the magical and mysterious networks of mycelia that are all around us to learn how they impact our lives and the planet. In this episode, we have the fourth part of our interview with Dr. Dennis Desjardins, who is Professor Emeritus at San Francisco State University. Dr. Desjardins has written a book entitled California Mushrooms, a comprehensive identification guide which is available on Amazon and is very highly rated. In this episode, we discuss the benefits of using lab-grown mushrooms over solely relying on mushrooms grown in the wild. Yeah. Interesting. So this sort of leads me into another question I was going to ask about the difference between, you know, lab-grown mushrooms versus those in the wild. And what I, you know, what I've gathered from this conversation so far is that at least with a lab-grown mushroom, you know exactly what you're getting and you can test for the different, um, you know, compounds and things like that. Yeah. Uh, what else is different about lab-grown mushrooms versus wild mushrooms and things that people should know about that? Yeah, well, there, there certainly if you're looking at, at, a, at a commercial level, mm -hmm. if you're looking at being able to, like we try and do it at Sempero Organics, uh, feed and heal the world, we need to have a lot of the product in order to do that. So mm -hmm. the advantages of lab-grown mushrooms over wild collected mushrooms. In the lab, as you say, we can control pretty much all the conditions. We control all the aspects of growth and development. We can then at the same time artificially select for various desired traits. Mm -hmm. You know, by varying the nutritional profile in, in what we feed them, or by getting single spore isolates and, uh, and mating uh, different strains against each other to, and then, you know, growing the F2s mm -hmm. and then picking the traits that we want. We can continue with that. Right. We can grow a single strain and then standardize those bioactives. So we can test a single strain and mm -hmm. then if we don't get the, the right bioactives. We can add various supplements to the, to the substrate that we, we grow it on to maybe mm -hmm. increase the amount of bioactives that are there. So it really allows us to, to manipulate those various strains and pretty much be able to standardize the beta-glucans in that strain, or mm -hmm. if it's cordyceps, standardize the amount of cordycepin we can get from it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Another advantage is we can grow them in pure sterile conditions. So we can keep them away from all extraneous bacteria, yeah. molds, yeasts, any other <laughs> sorts of contaminants and grow them in, in, in really pure sterile conditions. We can make sure that the substrate that we grow them on has no, uh, we grow them on organic substrates. So no mm -hmm. toxic chemicals, no pesticides, no heavy metals, et cetera. So you can control that aspect of it as well. Yeah. And, and lastly, and probably more importantly, is sustainable. Right. So we can we can you know get the substrate that we grow on it, make sure it's an organic substrate, you know, mm -hmm. qualified without all the toxins and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we can grow as much as we want under very controlled conditions in a very sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Now, wild collected mushrooms, they're seasonal for one. Okay. So they only form at certain times of the year. They are encountered mm -hmm. periodically. There's mm -hmm. no assured quantity of them. I mean, mm -hmm. so I've gone out looking for, for morels many times, and I've decided that they only grow where I park my car because I drive <laughs> along and I see a good spot. I park my car. There are two or three morels. I look for five more hours and don't find a darn one. And then I drive somewhere else and you find it and get a couple more. You never know <laughs> what you're going to get with a lot of wild mushrooms, right? right. So, mm -hmm. so there's really no assurance of, of quantity. Uh, you can't control the substrate on which they grow on. 
You mm. don't know whether the substrate is has has pesticides on it, is loaded with heavy metals. Uh, fungi mycelium can accumulate heavy metals very easily. Uh, yeah. They're they're known for that. We can use them for bioremediation because of those those properties. So mm. you you don't know what the substrate is. Uh, when they're grown in the wild, they're easily contaminated by bacteria, by other fungi, etc. Yeah. Uh, if you collect too many of them from the wild, you can disrupt the food web of organisms in the wild mm. that need them as their uh, primary or sole food source. Right. And you right. want to do that. So they're really, it's not sustainable. So for instance, right. with yeah. uh, Ophiocordyceps sinensis, you mm -hmm. know, the ghost or the larva mushroom, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's already endangered because of overcollecting. Right. So uh, you don't want to be going out and collecting all, all of the wild mushrooms and affect the, the biology and the genetics and the reproductive biology of other organisms in the habitat as well. Yeah. Right. You can right. control all of that by growing them artificially. Right. So that's, I mean, so those are kind of the advantages of, of uh, growing them in a lab over collecting them in the wild. Right. Disadvantage would be that when you grow them in the lab, you're basically growing clones of a particular strain that you have chosen for mm -hmm. the very specific standardization and reproducibility that you want. Those right. are good things, but it is, it is, it is, they're genetically clones from each other. You're not getting much genetic variation in mm -hmm. the possibility of having various other bioactives in combination in the mushroom. When you collect in the wild, there's a good chance that the mushrooms you're collecting are representing different individuals, not mm -hmm. all the same individual, but different individuals, uh, and often from different populations, right? right. So right. that means that they are genetically different from each other, which means yeah. that they may be producing different amounts of the various compounds that would be of interest to you. And right. having that variability in, in what you're consuming may, you know, may be better. In, in yeah. some either as an entourage effect or, or or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. so those are the, the basic dis disadvantages. But I think it really comes down to growing the ones that we want for the functional fungi that have shown um, medical efficacy and nutritionally beneficial. Yeah. Uh, we can do it sustainably and reproducibly and standardize it in mm -hmm. the lab. And we could feed a lot more people relatively cheaply that way yeah. than having everybody go out and, and collect wild, the wild mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I will, and I will add to this, however, that mm -hmm. of the 20,000 or so species of mushroom forming fungi, mm -hmm. only about 200 give or take, uh, are grown in artificial culture that mm -hmm. we fruit them and form fruiting bodies. And yeah. of those only probably about 20 to 30 of those are grown commercially. Yeah. Right. So yeah. most of the wild mushrooms that I like to eat mm -hmm. grow artificially. Yeah. Yeah. So mycorrhizal fungi, ectomycorrhizal fungi, like uh -huh. chanterelles and porcini mm -hmm. uh, and hedgehog mushrooms and those, we can't grow them artificially. They have to be wild collected. Right, right. What about Cordyceps sinensis? Is is that something that that has to be sort of wild, or can it be? Well, the Chinese have been working for several hundred years on uh, artificial cultivation of uh, we call it now Ophiocordyceps sinensis, uh, right. but same thing. Uh, right. They've been working uh, on on growing that. You can grow the mycelium, uh, mm -hmm. but it grows extremely slowly, okay. extremely slowly. Uh -huh. And so what the Chinese have been able to do now is they, can, they actually are growing the ghost moth uh, larvae 
-hmm. they're inoculating them with uh, with spores or mycelium of Oviocordyceps sinensis, and they are growing that whole combination, the whole larva, and once waiting for it to fruit. And again, it it could take six months or so, if not longer, to get it to fruit. And they're trying to artificially grow it by actually inoculating the animal larvae with it and growing it the way it would grow in nature. Right. right. Uh, and and they're having some success with that. And mm-hmm. there are a number of papers out there now on on how to do that, actually. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there it's it has not really reached much of a, a commercial level because it takes so long. Yeah. Which means it's very expensive to do it. And that doesn't lower the extremely expensive price of it. However, there is also a number of really excellent papers out there that mm-hmm. are showing that Cordyceps militaris a different mm-hmm. species that also attacks the, the larvae of, uh, of moss, Lepidopterus, mm-hmm. uh, that it has as many bioactives and often more bioactives, cordycepin, cordycepic mm-hmm. acid, demanitol, mm-hmm. uh, in it than does Ophiocordyceps sinensis. And Cordyceps militaris grows really easily and really quickly in artificial conditions. Oh, wow. So there are a number of good papers now that are showing good positive data uh, indicating that um, Cordyceps militaris is a good substitute for mm-hmm. Ophiocordyceps sinensis, at least for uh, beta-glucans and uh, Cordycepin and uh, demanitol. At least right. for those, which is what is which is what has been tested, and that's right. really good news because that is sustainable. You mm-hmm. can you can grow it pretty quickly four to six weeks, uh, or maybe a little longer than that, oh. get it to fruit and, and yeah. form the, the, the beautiful little bright orange carotenoid filling uh, mm-hmm. fruiting bodies and the mycelium. The mycelium has, has been shown to have more cordycepin in it than does the fruiting bodies. So you can, you can do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always suggest that if you can uh, get what we call a full spectrum uh, uh, product, that's the way to go because mm-hmm. Mushrooms produce uh, many of the bioactives. The mycelium produces many of the bioactives. Mm-hmm. Sometimes certain bioactives are formed only in the mushrooms. Other bioactives are formed only in the mycelium. Uh-huh. So your best benefit would be to get a product that produce, gives you both the mycelium and the mushrooms, the fruiting right. bodies from it. That way you get the full spectrum of all of the possible um, biomedically efficacious compounds in it. Mm-hmm. And you can do that quite easily with uh, growing Cordyceps militaris. And it's just a fine substitute for Ophiocordyceps sinensis as far right. as, as the scientific literature is concerned. Excellent, wow. Um... We hope you enjoyed this episode featuring our conversation with Dr. Dennis Desjardins. Be sure to look out for our next episode coming out soon where we will continue this conversation. Until then, be sure to get some healthy mushrooms into your diet. Also, please take a moment to like or subscribe to our channel and drop us any comments. Your feedback is most welcome. Thanks for listening.